Thanks, Pat. All right, well, we've graduated from a music stand to a pulpit. How about that? Hey, that's progress. Good morning, church family. We are working through the book of Colossians together. And since Paul was going to talk about ministry this week, I thought about titling the sermon, uh, How to Be a Good Minister. But I thought a lot of you might say, that's a good week to skip church. Uh, How to Be a Good Minister. Uh, That sounds like something the Gray Seminary students would like to hear, but what relevance does that have for the rest of us? I thought I heard something fall. No? Mike, okay, thanks. I'm not going crazy. Um, So Gray Seminary students would connect to how to be a good minister, right? They're in Bible training, uh, but what relevance would that have for the rest of us to talk about being a good minister? Well, I'm glad that you didn't skip church this weekend. Because the answer is that ministry is extremely relevant for every Christian. Every Christian. If you have been saved by Jesus from your sins, and if he's your Lord and Savior, every, every Christian is a minister of the gospel. Every Christian is a servant of Christ. And he is a good Lord. Last week, we examined one of the most amazing passages of the entire Bible, Colossians 1, 15 through 23, which led us directly into the into the most astounding description of the majesty of Christ, the creator of everything, the sustainer of everything, the one who's transferred us into the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light, of his own kingdom. And this is the Christ that we know and that we walk personally with. He's greater than all of creation, we, t- we said. He's greater than everything he created. He's greater than all people. Uh, that we ever look up to and admire. He is greater than all of that. And he is our God who we follow and who we worship. And Paul moves right from that great text right into, and I've been looking forward to studying this passage and delivering this message because where does Paul go from that? He moves right from that description of Christ, trying to get us excited about the power of Jesus and who it is that we worship and follow. And he moves right from that to teach us that every Christian is given spiritual gifts to serve Jesus with. And guess what? Church bench warmer is not one of those gifts. This is for everybody. He's called us to be active and serving according to the way that he has specifically designed us and called us to serve him. So we all have a ministry to fulfill. But it does take some time to understand that, to grasp that, and then to figure out exactly how God made me to function in this world and to be a blessing to this world, be a servant of his. And that's the process of Christianity, and it's the process that our church is entering right now today and uh, is always in, honestly. So this is where Paul goes next, and I ask you to open your Bibles with me in sermon notes, and we see the message is titled, How We Respond to Christ's Majesty. How We Respond to Christ's Majesty. So if you need a Bible, English or Spanish or bulletin, uh, with your sermon notes, just raise your hand and these guys will get you what, whatever you need. We want to make sure everybody's got what they need to be together this morning in God's Word. And before we go any, any further, I want to tell you a story of something that happened to me this week. It was last Wednesday, you might remember uh, the day of the snow. It was a good time, wasn't it? It was. Okay, so I, I was having coffee with Tim Sprankle. He was a pastor of Leesburg Grace from our fellowship. He's a great guy. Our, our wives are actually childhood friends. That's not the story, though. 
Uh, we were talking there together about uh, ministry, vision, uh, philosophies. We were having a great time, and it was a really edifying time together uh, between the two of us. That was at Three Crowns Coffee. And um, then he left, and I got in my van only to realize that I'm stuck in the snow. I can't get my van out of the snow. I tried. I tried myself. Uh, I couldn't do it, though. So I went back inside Three Crowns Coffee, and there was only one guy in there at the time, and he was Skyping somebody on his laptop with headphones on. So I didn't bother him. I bothered Sean Mason instead. I uh, called Sean, and he said, yep, I'll be over there in a few minutes. So Sean and Tyler arrived, and, um, and later Zach uh, Stichter arrived as well, and, and they saved the day. It was great. I appreciate it. Good fun. Uh, but in that 10 to 15 minutes before those guys showed up, uh, I had, I'd struck a conversation with another guy that came into to Three Crowns, and I gave him, you know, we talked, had a, had a nice conversation. I gave him my, my card and told him what we were doing in Warsaw. And here's what he said. He said, Warsaw is a very religious place, but it's a dead religion. It's not spiritually alive. And so, of course, I want to get into that. And just as he was saying that, the guys showed up. And I had to go outside and meet them and get my van unstuck. And I hope that he comes to Community Grace someday. He's got my information, and we can pray for him and for that. But I want you to sink, I want, that, I want you to let that, his words sink in just for a moment. Warsaw is a very religious place, but it's a dead religion. No spiritual life, that's what he said. And I want you to just to meditate based on where we've been in Colossians, what the, what the word says about Christ who's greater than all, and how unfitting that statement should be about any Bible-believing, Christ-honoring church of Jesus Christ. Amen? How completely unfitting that should be based on the greatness of Christ, what he has done, what he's made us in him, the power of the gospel that bears powerful fruit in us, dead religion should never characterize true believers in Christ, true followers of Christ. Right? So let's open the text in Colossians 1 and determine how we respond to Christ's majesty. And I get three points from the text today. All three start with action verbs, the verbs use, identify, and give. That's where we're going today. If you have your sermon notes, those might help you follow along. The first is, as we enter chapter 1, verse 24, we see that Paul says, use your sufferings to become like Christ. This is how we respond to Christ's majesty. After describing the majesty of Christ, Paul moves into verse 24 and teaches this great lesson and is also the most controversial verse in the book of Colossians. It certainly sounds shocking when you first read it, but I don't think it's unclear when you do a little study of it. Let's read the verse together. It's uh, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. We need to look deeper, more deeply into this verse. I rejoice in my sufferings, he says. Now, that's not the controversial part, uh, but maybe it should be, right? 
I mean, think about this. Who is this guy saying, I rejoice in my sufferings? Does that mean that Christians have to be those people that are happy all the time? Happy all the time. It's like, oh yeah, I lost my job, I wrecked my car, and I got cancer all in the same day. Look at how happy I am. All these sufferings I get to rejoice in. Is that what Christ demands from us? To be happy all the time. Now, it would be natural to think those people are dishonest or at least very weird. Um, but hold on. Grow in Christ. Read the promises of his word. Read what his word really teaches. Find out through experience the relationship that God has with you in your suffering. The purposes that God works out only through your suffering. And the relationship that he brings with other people. The things that he works in your suffering does, does have a tendency to lead you to rejoice. Not in the pain, all right, not in the loss that you're suffering. You don't rejoice in that, but in the purposes that he works from it. Do you understand the difference? And you'll experience this as you walk with God. And we've already touched on some of these things in our songs and words spoken this morning already. And I, and I appreciate how, how the Holy Spirit is working all these things together. And I pray that he speaks to your heart through this right now in this moment. So only over time as we respond to Christ's majesty and see his healing power and receive his comfort and witness the power of the gospel in our lives, only then can we begin to see the meaning of suffering. But we see it. And Paul says, use your suffering to become like Christ. Now hold on to that. And we're going to continue now into the controversial part. As Paul states, why he rejoices. Let me read the whole verse again. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. So it sounds like Paul is saying here that Jesus didn't finish the job, so I am finishing the job for him in my sufferings, right? What is, what's lacking in Christ's afflictions, I'm doing on, in my sufferings on your behalf. It's kind of what it sounds like. But that would contradict all of Scripture. Because when Jesus was hanging on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. And then all the Bible teaches what was finished completed on the cross through Jesus' sacrifice. So that can't be what it means. Now let me teach you a simple Bible interpretation principle, and that is when you come to a difficult verse, and it seems to contradict the rest of Scripture, a basic principle is use the rest of Scripture's clear teaching to inform and find out the meaning of that difficult text. Because if the rest of Scripture's teaching seems to contradict that difficult text, then you have it wrong. All right? The Bible doesn't have it wrong. It doesn't contradict itself. You have a misunderstanding there. So when you take the, all of the Bible's clear teaching of the finished work of Christ on the cross for salvation, there can be nothing lacking in Jesus' work of salvation on the cross. Because if that is true, that means Jesus on the cross doesn't save us. It's Jesus plus something. It's Jesus plus good works. Jesus plus our baptism. Jesus plus on and on and on, going on a two-year mission. Jesus plus circumcision. Okay, all of those things have been taught. 
You fill in the blank. Here's a good quote to memorize. In salvation, Jesus plus anything ruins everything. There's no Jesus plus anything to earn who you are in Christ. Jesus plus anything ruins everything. Now we preach Christ crucified and embrace everything that he's given us, every spiritual blessing in our salvation. And many religions are ruined by this false teaching. It's something else. And that turns them into a dead religion. All right, but we're alive in Christ. So what is Paul saying if he's not saying that? He's saying that the persecution of Christians on earth, the suffering of Christians on earth, is felt by Jesus in heaven. Because when somebody you love suffers, you feel that suffering too, don't you? Maybe this is most profound with your own kids. When your kids are suffering and hurting, oh, it breaks your heart too. Uh, I'm crying on the inside. Sometimes on the outside. You know how that is? When you love somebody that's suffering, you suffer with them. And guess what? Jesus loves you. And he suffers with you as we're walking through life suffering. When we suffer, Jesus suffers. But when we suffer, we become like Jesus. And that is a great thing. So again, Paul says first, use your sufferings to become like Jesus. We suffer with his sufferings. And he's with us along the way. But here's the thing. Most Christians start out believing that once we trust Jesus as our Savior, life's going to be pretty good. All right, that's kind of the end of, of sufferings. We just kind of believe that. And I want to tell you a story uh, from a friend of mine back in Washington. His name is Jeff. Jeff told me this was the exact story of his life. He was saved in college. And just as he's processing this new worldview, one of the things that he mistakenly thought was that his life is going to be only good things. Maybe some bumps along the road, but hey, you know, Christ has me now. Nothing bad's going to happen to me anymore. Because like we sing, God has promised good to me. Right? So don't misunderstand that. So Jeff said, even though we don't teach and preach the prosperity gospel, that's, hey, once we're Christians, we can just claim by our faith and we'll become wealthy and healthy all the days of our life. And that's a teaching that's out there, and it's a false teaching. So even though we don't teach that and preach that, we subtly believe that. Life should be good now. It's not true, necessarily. Jeff said for him, that, for him the, the scales came off his eyes and he saw clearly through this after a year of grieving for their son who died at childbirth. A year of grieving. Meditating on scriptures. After a year of grieving, he, scriptures finally came alive to him and he recognized that suffering is at the heart of Christianity. Jesus on a cross. So Jeff and his family have grown through this tremendously. He's become extremely more like Christ through that. And knowing this now, he's not apprehensive about bad things happening. He trusts God instead. So Jesus did not suffer so that we will never suffer. All right? But so that when we suffer, we will become like him and drawn close to him because he's suffering with us. 
So what does that look like to become more like Jesus? What does that look like in our lives? And I just want to give a list. I mean, it's just everything. It's, it's having a full commitment to truth and to proclaim truth, but also having a full measure of love to match that truth. It's having wisdom and conviction and courage and approachability and brightness and humility and nobility and desiring to worship God and desiring to reach the entire world with the gospel and joy in every circumstance. That kind of joy. And suffering propels us to all these things and many more faster and further than anything else could in our lives. So use your suffering to become like Christ. And you're not on your own. You can turn to God all throughout the day as many times as you want. And you can turn to your Christian family, your church family. And please do. So Paul decides he is going to use his suffering to learn from it, to know Christ better through it, and then to grow in his ability to serve Christ because of it. And that, he says, is our second way that we respond to Christ's majesty as we grow in our service to Christ, our majestic King. Use your suffering to become more like Jesus. And then, two, is to identify your ministry and mission that he has given you. And Paul suffered for Christ big time. He was beaten in prison. He gives this list a few times in his letters. Beaten, imprisoned, displaced, threatened, starved, shipwrecked, and abused over and over. Now, he could have stopped. He could have chosen to stop serving Christ, and the suffering would have stopped. Or could he? Or could he choose that? No, he couldn't, because following Christ means you can't make that choice. You're following Christ. And Christ suffered from doing the right thing. So let's look at the text and talk about Paul's ministry and his example and how that translates to your ministry and your mission. All right, first, who is this ministry and mission given by? Given to us by whom? We're going to look at verses 25 through 27 right now. First is that first part of verse 25, 25a. And he just finishes talking about the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me. So, first thing you need to know about your ministry is that it's given to you by God himself as a stewardship. Now, stewardship is a a very important word to the Christian faith. So, let's make sure we understand what it means because it's what we are. All right, a steward, the the definition of a steward or stewardship is the management of property by a servant on behalf of its owner. The management of property by a servant on behalf of the property's owner. All right? The Bible teaches that the things we own, we don't actually own them. God owns it. God owns it all. He owns everything. He created it to us. Now, He entrusts us with a lot of different things, as a steward, to take responsibility to use those things for him. He gives us things like the talents that we have, the gifts that we have, the time that we have, the things and the stuff that we have, the jobs that we have, the information, the influence that we have on people, and the passions that we have. All as property that we have for us to manage on behalf of its owner him. It's just like when kids say, 
hey, to their parents, hey, you can't come into my room. Parents, what do you say? It's not your room. This is my house. I paid for it. I took the loan out for it. I took the risk. It's my house. But I am entrusting that room to your care. I'm allowing you to take ownership of it, to have management rights of it, so that you can use it to have some privacy and to have a healthy life, to learn responsibility so you'll grow and, and please me and, and please God and do the great things that, that we want for your life. Everything we have is God's. And the particular ministry that he entrusts us to do for him is a stewardship of your life that he gives you and invites you to use for him. And he wants you to use it. And so you have a ministry or ministries to do in your life and a mission. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. And we're thrilled that we get to, to work for Christ because of the majesty of Christ. Because who he is and what he's done for us. So then Paul explains next why God gives us this stewardship in a ministry and a mission. Given to us for what purposes? Verses 25 through 27. Let's read those three verses. Just follow along with me. Verse 25 through 27. So the church, again, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Let's look at the purposes. Why we're given this ministry. For you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how, how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his majesty, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. All right, we're going to look through what each part of this means. Christ's stewardship to Paul was given for you. That's for the church. That's who he's talking to. For the church, for people. He's been made a minister to bless people. Okay? Hold on to that. He says, now, to, how, do you, how does he bless people? He says his ministry is to make the word of God fully known. For Paul, his ministry was to preach and to teach and to travel and, and, and do missionary journeys and plant churches and disciple other young men to do the same thing. And then to write letters like the one we're studying right now. These are his ministries. And Paul is telling his own story so that we all can apply it to ours. What are our ministries that God's going to call, call us to? How does God want us to serve him and help people? But first, before Paul goes any farther, when you study Paul, you realize that he says something, and then, oh yeah, that reminds me, I'm going to drill down further on that, and then further on that, and then further on that, and you get lost and confused. So he's going to drill down on what this word of God is. All right? He's going to talk more about what the heart of the ministry is, what the gospel that we proclaim is, and he calls it the mystery of God. This starts in verse 26. And I think that he brings this up here to be really clear about what it means, what he just said, to make Jesus known. It is the mystery of God. See that word in verse 26? Mystery. Now, everybody likes a good mystery book or mystery movie, right? right? Do you like a good mystery? Yeah, it's fun. So it's an exciting word. Well, what is the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed? 
guess what? You and I are that mystery. It's the church. The church is the mystery of God. The church is what the Old Testament saints who lived before Christ did not understand. They knew Messiah was coming, that he was going to start something. And then the, all these prophecies describe this most amazing thing, but they didn't understand what is the Messiah, the Christ? What's he going to do? What's that going to look like? It was a mystery. The, uh, the Old Testament saints did not understand that the God's people as a national calling, the nation of Israel, was going to change to a kingdom calling. That's a kingdom representation of all nations, tribes, tongues, and peoples of the entire world. The church. The church is what Jesus is building now. The church brings him and all his blessings to the world. The church is Jesus' body, his hands and feet who do the work. The church is Jesus' bride who he's one with who our earthly marriages represent. The church is what the scriptures and the prophets for 2,000 years before Jesus came talked about. But all the people in the Old Testament never understood. It was a mystery. They didn't understand it, but they knew, look at Paul's words, they knew the hope of God's glory was in it. The hope of God's glory is in us. The hope of God's glory is Christ in us. This is cool stuff. Christ is in us, and our stewardship now is to build up Christ's church by all of us participating in ministry. That's our ministry. And we aim to figure out what that looks like for each and every person at Community Grace. And that's a process. It takes some time. Uh, it takes you stepping out, filling out some forms, talking to leaders. It takes leader development. It takes trainings. It takes you experimenting with some things and realizing, no, nope, this isn't it. <laughs> And then finding great joy and satisfaction and, and fruit in, in things. It's to build up the church to unity and maturity, to be so it's healthy in every way and glorifies Christ by every part being healthy. And our mission is to make Jesus' glory known, to make him known to everyone that we know. This is our mission that Jesus gave us, his church, and as individual Christ followers. That's what Paul says next in verse 28. Him we proclaim, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Let me just say that again. Him we proclaim, warning everyone. God is righteous and a righteous judge of all human, human sins. Someone's going to be hurt or killed, we warn them, right? That's the loving thing to do, and it is. So that's the first thing he says. Him we proclaim, warning people, everyone, and teaching everyone all about Jesus with all wisdom. And what's the end goal? It's the word highlighted here. Maturity. Mature, that we can be presented mature in, in Christ. We become mature Christ followers who make many other Christ followers. That's the mission of this church. And the mission is our stewardship from God for all of us, everybody. So let me ask, what's it going to take to fulfill that in Warsaw? Just think about that. Uh, I read a stat that's pretty open. Uh, more than 50% of Kosciuszko County does not attend church. Um, and this is one of the 
One of the most Christianized places in the country, there are certainly other places that are more or less. I just came from a place in Western Washington that's 8%. Uh, 8% of the population claims affiliation with a Christian church. It's very low. That's almost what missiologists would call an unreached people group. But here we are. We have still more than 50% that, that don't attend a Christian church at all. Um, we have a great mission field because the mission is that everyone would hear. Be warned, given the opportunity to trust or reject Christ. So what's it going to take to accomplish in Warsaw, in Kosciuszko County? Is it going to just take the pastors and the elders to make known the riches of God's glory to everyone in Kosciuszko County? Hey, listen, we have six great elders. I love these guys. Um, but are they able to bring, to proclaim Christ and bring him to everyone in your workplaces? No. And everyone in your neighborhoods? No. Everyone on your soccer team? No. Everyone in your classrooms? No. Just imagine that Mike Fisher, one of our, our, our head helder, is uh, trying to evangelize all of your classrooms, and he keeps showing up in your classroom every day. Right? It's like, I've got to get the word out to all these kids. It's up to me. My, uh, just me. Um, your teachers are going to frown on that, right? You're going to say, what? who is this guy? He keeps coming to these classrooms. No, the mission is given to every single one of us. And I love this. I marvel at it, that you are all able to do things and have influence that I never could. I'll never be able to. This is why it takes everybody. Kosciuszko County also has a large and growing Hispanic population. Now, while our family is getting started on working on our Spanish, we got a long ways to go. And you faithful Latino brothers and sisters in our church have influence in the Hispanic community that I could never have. And you understand the needs of that community like I presently do not. And you shine the light of Christ directly into people's lives as God has, has enabled and called you to. And the same goes for everybody. The people at Zimmer, the people, you know, just list wherever you are, wherever you are called to this mission. And I rejoice that it's being done in our community, to our schools, to the Latino community, everywhere by Community Grace Brethren Church. Amen? And do we want more of that? Yes, we do. And are we willing to suffer for Christ? Yes, we are. We're going to bring his light wherever we go. If you'll get behind it, will you get involved in this mission? Will you get behind it? Will you lead it? Will you support it? The stuff that our church is doing and doing in the world, will you support that with your time, talents, and treasures? This is how we respond to Christ's majesty. By doing these things, first, use your suffering to become like Jesus, Paul says. Second, identify your ministry and mission. And then third, and finally, just how much of yourself do you give this mission? Do you give the ministry of the church that he's placed you in? Give it your entire life. Verse 29, hear what Paul says. For this, for this, for all that I've just said, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For this we toil, brothers and sisters. Now, notice the pronoun switch here because while this work, this ministry, this calling, this stewardship from God 
this mission is supposed to consume our lives, and it should in, in, in light of Christ's majesty. Notice the pronoun switch here because this is very important. It means everything to us because we will burn ourselves out. We will be disenfranchised. We will be disappointed if we're just following humans and we're just trying to do it in our own power. Look at this pronoun switch. For this, I toil. Oh yeah, this work consumes me. This passion and this zeal to proclaim Christ and build up his church consumes me, but struggling with all his energy. I just love this. Paul keeps telling us over and over that we have God's power to do this because we keep trying over and over to do it on our own power. Right? So Paul is working as hard as he can to, to do all these great things that he was able to do, to warn people, teach people. He preached all kinds of places. He kept getting abused. And all the way up until the end when he was martyred by beheading in Rome, he was successful. And where did he do that? Uh, where did he get the power to do that, the energy to do that? How was he refreshed through his life? And he tells us by doing it through God's power. So you may be struggling in life right now, and you may be exhausted, burned out. I know that happens. And it may be because you're trying to accomplish all these things in human strength. Stop trying to live the Christian life in your own effort. Here we have the invitation to allow God's unlimited strength for your ministry and your part in his mission. What does that look like? Abiding in him, talking to him, asking for it, being refreshed, taking advantage of the things that he gives, the blessings that he gives you throughout your life, being on a team to share the load, all these things. He gives us the wisdom. He gives us the strength and the spiritual vitality if you ask for it. He gives it to us. And that's where we're going in the next steps now to talk about identifying your ministry and your part in his mission. All right, this again is a process. Uh, I think some people are going to try to have this figured out really soon in the next couple weeks as we have some opportunities right before us. For others, let's just make it a goal for the year 2020 to have this figured out with everybody and everybody really engaged in what's happening, what God is doing through community grace. All right, so the next step starts off with these words, get started. Let's get started. First, your ministry. There's a whole bunch of things on the screen. I'm just going to talk real briefly through the list. First is fill out your communication cards. Uh, this is brand new. Pretty nice, huh? Thank you, Alex, for doing such a nice job designing those. Uh, but everybody just pull that out real quick. Hopefully you have it. You've been passed the, a pen and the communication card. Pull that up and kind of wave it around. All right, there you go. Ah, uh, just got really cool in here. All right, come on. And you'll see on this, English and Spanish side, what we want you to, what we're asking you to do, there's a lot of different ways that this actually really benefits the entire church and everything we want to do and the way we want to care for you and stay in contact with each other. Fill out, fill out any information that's changed so we have your current information. Uh, guests, we want, we want to get a record of your attendance, how God led you to be with Community Grace this morning, what your needs are and interests are, as much information as you're comfortable sharing, and then your comments and a place for you. Here's why we're doing this, because I expect God to do great things as we're meeting in his name, proclaiming his word and singing it. So we want a record of those great things he's doing in your life. All right, we want to share that with each other and celebrate and follow up things that you're interested in or responses that you want 
to have. You might be ready to trust Christ. If that's you today, mark that box. Let's talk about that and rejoice and follow Jesus in baptism and everything else he says. Uh, this is why we've moved the offering to the closing song now, so you can start filling this out. But it's also why there are four and soon to be five, maybe, maybe five, maybe six boxes on the outside walls that you can drop this in. So even if you don't get a chance to fill it all out before the offering comes by, um, there's always boxes on the wall. Even during the week, if you're around, you can drop that in. That's why we're doing these things. Our goal is that, my goal is that everybody would fill one out today. Can you just do that? Just write your name on it. Uh, and anything else, any other response that you have or a prayer request. And then we'd like, I'm going to state, at least 85% of these for uh, the attendance that we have each week uh, to be filled out. So we can do all of those things. Stay in contact with each other, stay in prayer for each other, and respond the way the Holy Spirit has you to respond at the moment. This is a great tool, one I've, I've used for many, many years with extremely good fruit and results for the church health. So please participate in that. Um, and starting right now, today. The e-prayer team is the next thing on the list, and that actually is, um, the goal is to record the prayers of our church family and send these out to faithful, anybody can be on the e-prayer team and pray faithfully through the list for each other. That's how a church grows. This is where ministry begins in prayer. All right, so if you want to participate in that, that's where it starts. Please just write your name and write prayer team and your email. Make sure we have it and you'll be added. Comfort and mentor others as you've been comforted. The word says this is a reason for much of the suffering is so that we can use it for ministry. You know, if you've been through something like a loss of a child, guess what? You're the best person that we can connect someone who's going through the loss of a child with. Whatever that is. Would you be available to that kind of ministry? To people? It's a stewardship. Uh, workday, I'm going to put that on there. We had a great turnout yesterday for the workday, and great things happen when we you know, put that elbow grease in together. We could use another 20, 30 people this Saturday too, 9 to 3. Uh, please plan on doing that. Church ministries, we could list all of them, nursery, children's, youth, be a helper, once a month, twice a month, every week, a teacher, a leader, big brother, big sister, you know, um, all kinds of different ministries. If you're interested in anything, just write that down and we'll get connected with you. Office volunteer, somebody needs to type all this stuff in a database. If office volunteer, and there's other stuff to volunteer with in the office, uh, if that's something that you say, yeah, God's made me to do that. Would you write that down? Uh, greeter team, we are looking to enhance the greeter team. Uh, if God's given you that kind of personality, let's use it uh, to bless people. Deacons could use three more men or women to do the unique ministries that they have. They do a variety of things, pretty exciting stuff, with people and with things. Um, write down what you would like to do on the communication card. We'll get with you, and uh, we'll put this stuff in motion. I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit and your response and uh, how Jesus is going to grow this church. And then your mission. There's, a, there's an element of mission through the church. What's the church doing to reach the community? Be a part of that. And, of, then of course, there's the individual element. How, how has God using, you know, called you and equipped you, prepared you 
to minister to the people in your personal life. Uh, if you write, if you just pray as we close right now, God, show me your mission. Give me a divine appointment, somebody to talk to. Um, I'm scared. I'm nervous. It's great. We proclaim Christ. Um, pray that you'll do that. Easter is coming. It's just six weeks away. Next week, we're going to have some invitation cards available to start just passing out everywhere. And we'll talk more about that next week. We're also going to start changing um, or doing some things. We have some new signs coming in and just training up everybody to, to welcome guests for Easter. I'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. Easter is a really big deal, and we're going to make it a big deal and, uh, and see what God does out of our obedience. Keep focusing on his mission always, always. Let's pray, and like I said, we're going to pray for the offering as well. You can turn in those communication cards, guests. That's all that we'd like to have from you is, is just your name and, and whatever else you'd like to share with us. Um, everybody else, let's, uh, let's worship now in prayer and then in giving and singing. And then we have that business meeting, uh, which we'll mention in just a few minutes. So Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to look in your word and let it change us. And I'm excited just imagining what you're doing in each person's life here uh, through the ministry of the church, the ministry of your word. And oh, I can't wait to hear stories and celebrate how um, the people that I'm brothers and sisters with in this church family um, make impacts on people out in the world. I pray that you'll give us the Holy Spirit's fire to do that. Guide us now, and I pray for your blessing on the offering for the, for the people that receive it, for the people that give it, draw both of their hearts closer to you through it, we pray. And pray for your anointing on the business meeting as well, too. We look forward to that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.